But we have reached the end of the book of Acts. Yes! I'm very excited. I didn't know if it would ever happen. Um, and you may, this may be your first time here and you're like, what is Acts? And you know, we've actually been in this great book and I believe that God can hit you wherever you are. And even if you've missed 25 years of what God has been trying to say to you, you show up and he says, you ready now? And you can hear everything he needs to tell you. And so today uh, I, I felt it would be appropriate and it's interesting, the last few stories, kind of the theme just came out of the waters. And scriptures like that, it has this way of telling you something on the surface that you're like, oh yeah, I get it. I see the, the obvious connection. And then you can peel back several layers as it peels back several layers in your heart to reveal where you might be or where you may need to go in Jesus. And so through the waters with Jesus. In scripture, the waters can mean a couple of things that are usually the two that you go to. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And the waters there represent chaos and disorder and somewhat darkness, and the waters represent death, see that when they're coming out of Egypt and Exodus and they need to get out. And what do they have to do? They have to go through the waters. And that theme is picked up throughout scripture. When you get to Jesus on the cross, he is pierced in the side and blood and water pour out from his heart. He is the way through the waters. But then Jesus also said, and I came to give you living water. So it is both death and then with Christ, it is coming up alive. So we have two chapters and they kind of just really clearly say what I think God would want to say to us this morning. So I have a few thoughts after each section of the scripture, but there are three final images in the life of Paul today. And they are all there to compel you to do one thing, to give your life to Jesus, <laughs> all three of them. They're all, and he is, he is a one-man band, and he sings the same song no matter what town he goes to. You must give your life to Jesus. You must surrender. And some of us have already done that, but it has kind of lessened. We've maybe become a little calloused or cold in our hearts and Whenever you hear this message in scripture in that regard, you're, it is to warm your heart again, to get you to a place where you are locking in and saying, Lord, I want to follow you. I said that this week, uh, I was sharing a song uh, with a bunch of people on staff and I shared it with my daughter and the song is called Blown Away. And it's, I'm blown away by what you've done, that you love me just as I am. And I just said that in my text to my daughter. I said, I wanna be blown away by Jesus. And she goes, I think you are. I was like, I know, but I want more. I want to be, I want to be overwhelmed when I think about him. I don't want to just go, yeah, I know. It's great. I want to be blown away. And so these images today, if you're cold, you're callous, you don't know, you've been kind of just limping along. It is to strengthen you. It is to encourage you. It is to say, keep going, keep walking with Jesus. For those of you who have never or have been fighting him, it is to cause you to finally say, let's do it. Let me give my heart because 
Christ is your way through the waters. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 27 to begin. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up. It's going to be up here on the screen as well. There's also going to be a little map because there's a whole lot of places where Paul is going. And so it'll give you an idea of kind of what he's doing. Mark, we ready here? Acts 27. Let's do it. Verse 1. When it was decided that we were to sail to Italy, they handed over Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion named Julius of the Imperial Regiment. When we had boarded a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, intending to sail to ports along the coast of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. Next day, we put in at Sidon. Julius treated Paul kindly, allowed him to go to his friends to receive their care. When we'd put out to sea from there, we sailed along the northern coast of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After sailing through the open sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we reached Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. Sailing slowly for many days, listen to these words, with difficulty we arrived off Sinidas. The wind did not allow us to approach. We sailed along the south side of Crete off Salmonae. With still more difficulty, we sailed along the coast and came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. By now, much time had passed. The voyage was already dangerous. Since the Day of Atonement was already over, Paul gave his advice and he told them, hey, listen, this voyage is headed toward disaster and heavy loss. Not only the cargo and the ship, but us. We're going to lose our lives. But the centurion didn't want to listen. He paid attention to the captain and the owner of the ship rather than to what Paul said. The harbor was unsuitable to winter in. The majority decided to set sail from there, hoping somehow to reach Phoenix, a harbor on Crete, facing the southwest and northwest and to winter there. You can tell it's difficult. They're not, they're not making progress. When a gentle south wind sprang up, they thought they'd done it. They'd achieved their purpose. They weighed anchor, sailed along the shore of Crete, but before long, here we go again, a long, a fierce wind called the Northeaster rushed down from the island. The ship was caught, unable to head into the wind. We gave way to it. We were driven along. After running under the shelter of a little island called Kada, we were barely able to get control of the skiff. After hoisting it up, they used ropes and tackle, girded the ship. Fearing they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the drift anchor, and in this way, they were driven along. We were severely battered by the storm, so they started throwing stuff overboard. We jettisoned the cargo. The third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Many days, no sun, no stars, severe storm, raging. You're getting the picture. Finally, all hope was fading that we would be saved. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them, the prisoner, stood up and said, you men should have followed my advice not to sail from Crete and sustain this damage and loss. Now I urge you, take courage because there will be no loss of any of your lives. But the ship is going down. That'd be a nice thing to hear, huh? For last night, an angel of the God I belong to and serve stood by me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. It's necessary for you to appeal before Caesar, Caesar, Caesar. 
<laughs> and indeed, God has graciously given you all those who are sailing with you. So take courage, men, because I believe that God, that it will be just the way it was told to me. But we have to run aground on some island. He doesn't even know what it is. When the 14th night came, think about this, 14 nights of this, we were drifting in the Adriatic Sea and about midnight, the sailors thought they were approaching land. They took soundings, found it was 120 feet deep. They did it again later. They found it was 90 feet deep. Then fearing we might run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and they prayed for daylight to come. Some sailors said, forget this, I'm out of here. And they tried to escape the ship. They let down the skiff into the sea, pretending, oh yeah, we're just putting some anchors out. And Paul goes, hey, if you get off, you die. Unless you stay on this ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut the ropes holding the skiff and they're like, okay, okay. And they let it drop away. When it was daylight, Paul urged them again, eat, today's the 14th day. You've been waiting and going without food and you've eaten nothing. So I urge you, take some food. This is for your survival. None of you will lose a hair from your head after he had said these things and had taken some bread. He gave thanks to God in the presence of all of them. After he broke it, he began to eat. They were all encouraged. They took food themselves. In all, there were 276 people on the boat. 276. When they'd eaten enough, then they started to throw the food overboard because they were afraid it might sink them. Verse 39, when daylight finally came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a beach and they said, let's go for it. After cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea. At the same time, loosening the ropes that held the rudders, they hoisted the foresail to the wind and headed for the beach, but they struck a sandbar, ran the ship aground. The bow jammed fast and remained immovable. The stern began to break up by the pounding of the waves. The soldier says, kill the prisoners so they don't get away. But the centurion wanted to keep them from killing Paul. So he said, don't do that. And he said, hey, if you can swim, go for it. Everybody else, grab something, a plank, anything, debris. In this way, everyone safely reached the shore. There's a lot going on there. But you get the picture, don't you? You can feel it 14 days, 14 days at sea. I was one night on a sailboat going from Miami over the Gulf Stream to the Bahamas. It was raining. We had six, seven foot seas. We thought we were going to die. We thought we were, it was awful. Like we had kids, like youth group kids underneath. They're just sitting at the table, throwing up. We're up there trying to figure out how to get, it was awful. And 14 days of this. So just a few things. And here's our first picture. Our first picture is the most clear metaphor for you. A ship in a storm. In the ship is life. Outside the ship is death. Simple. In the ship is life. Outside certain death. The journey began with the centurion and the owners of the ship. It's a slave ship. They're transporting prisoners. They're in control. They have a plan. They've navigated. They've charted the course. They have supplies. They have everything they need. They set out for course and they don't make it. They don't make it. They're not getting anywhere. You see that over with difficulty, with difficulty. The wind was against us. This was against us. We tried. We couldn't. And what becomes really clear in the middle of the journey is that the captain is no longer the captain. God is steering the ship. 
God is steering the ship, and the lowest guy on the boat, Paul, the prisoner, becomes the most important person for everyone else there. If there's 276, 275 of them are going, what do we do? You, prisoner dude, what do we do? This is such a flip in the way you think things should go. And this is how God does this. And I love this as well. It's not just about saving Paul. It's not just about getting him to Rome to preach. God says, Paul, I will give you the lives of all of these people. I'm giving you their lives. This gives us, it's the same picture we've been hearing. These are enemies. These are people who are holding him captive. And God is saying, I want to do something. I want to do something. I heard this from a preacher this weekend. I was uh, listening to a podcast actually on Revelation. I'm getting ready for our series starting in two weeks here. Um, And what he said was, if you get to a place where you start thinking about your enemies and your thought is vengeance and God getting them rather than God saving them, you're off. And I was like, I've been off. (laughs) I've been so off in my life. And how I... I look at this and I see God saying, hey, Paul, I want to save them. Do you see the subtle move that's happening in the centurion's heart towards Paul? This, he let him go to the house on the first stop and said, yeah, yeah, go with your friends. It's okay. I, I know you're good for it. I know you're not going to run away. And then when they're wanting to call, he's like, no, 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 don't, don't hurt anybody. Why? Why does he care? Why does he care? It's a slave. It's a prisoner. God's moving. God's using this to move. And now they're listening to Paul and they're listening to what God has to say. Some of you talk to people and you're thinking, how in the world will they ever be open to Jesus? And you're like, never, never, never will that happen. And then all of a sudden something flips in the middle of a journey and what they thought was their destination, what they thought was important, what do they start doing? Throwing it over. Where they wanted to go originally, do they care about that? No, they care about living and they're willing to throw everything else out in order to live. And they're willing to listen to this guy who represents God, this man who says there's a God who wants to save you. And that one word, unless you are in this ship and unless you stay in this ship, you cannot be saved. So let's just make it super easy unless you are on board with Jesus Christ and you are found in him and you stay in him, you cannot be saved. You may travel for a while in this life. You may make it to certain places. It'll be difficult. Other times it'll be easy. But what scripture tells us, what is being repeated over and over again and here in Paul's life is in Christ is safety. In Christ, you make it through the waters. But if you're not in Christ you don't come back up. You don't make it through physical and spiritual death. But there is a choice. There's a choice. Those guys that started scurrying over to the side and they're like, yeah, yeah, we're just putting out anchors. We want to get out of here. And they're, in a, they're looking to get into a little skiff and basically take their chances on their own. They're going down there. And Paul could have just said, whatever, let them go. He yells over, you have to stay. You have to stay if you want to live. God has told me you can live if you stay. But they could just say, we don't care. At this point, God holds the keys to their lives and he holds them through the person who is representing him. They toss their stuff overboard, which is what we need to do. 
Toss overboard the stuff you've been attempting to find life through and cling to the feet of Jesus. He is the way through. If you stay with Jesus, you make it through the waters. Image number one. Image number two, Acts 28. Here we go. Verse one. Once safely ashore, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The local people showed us extraordinary kindness. They lit a fire and took us all in since it was rainy and cold. As Paul gathered a bundle of brushwood and put it on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself onto his hand. The local people saw the snake hanging from his hand. They said to one another, this man no doubt is a murderer. Even though he has escaped the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But he shook the snake off into the fire, suffered no harm. They expected that he would begin to swell up or suddenly drop dead. They're kind of like <laughs> watching him. Nothing happens. After they waited a long time, saw nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they said, he's a god. He must be a god. Now in the area of that place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius. He welcomed us, entertained us hospitably for three days, and his father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to him. And at this point, at that time, you may say, oh, fever, dysentery. If there was no way. A lot of times people just died from that. Paul went to him praying, laid his hands on him, and healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came, and they were healed. So they heaped many honors on us, and when we sailed, they gave us whatever we needed. So our second image of life in Jesus, of being safe, though surrounded by the waters of death, is an island in the Mediterranean. So our first one is a ship in a storm. The second is an island in the Mediterranean, this little island called Malta. And on that map, I think of another name for it is Melita, but it's... They didn't plan to go there, but that's where they ended up. There's a fire. There's warmth. I love when scripture paints pictures like this because I can just imagine people shivering there. It's the kindness of strangers. And here is a question for us. Is any of this random? No way. No. Why has the ship jammed into the sandbar just off the coast of Malta? Why is the stern breaking up there? Why can they go no further? Because God wants to save all 276 on the ship, get them to this safe island. But what else is he doing? He wants to save people on the island of Malta. So here's a really simple principle to gain from this. Don't rush to conclusions when God allows difficulty in your life. Don't rush to conclusions. Why are you doing that? Oh, could you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? I mean, and think about even Paul. Like it's like shipwreck, 14 days, blah, blah, blah. Finally, you're on the beach. Tell me, warm my hands. <laughs> he gets bit by a snake. <laughs> you could think he might be like, Lord, come on. Can I buy a vowel? Like anything. Like this is ridiculous. Don't rush to conclusions when God allows difficult things in your life. Now, do we? Yes. Do I? Absolutely. We're, we're trying to figure it out. And you're doing that thing where we 
It's a wrong way of thinking about God, but we think, what have I done wrong? I got to fix it, and then everything will work better for me. It's, it's the false gospel. It's honestly, I think it's kind of an American gospel. It's like, if I follow Jesus, everything's going to go great. I'm going to get a good job. Everything's going to, I'm going to, all my bills are going to be paid. I'll find parking places at Walmart always. You're like, it's all going to be awesome. No, sometimes God says, hey, I'm going to let you be in a shipwreck. Say, wait, wait, can we like another option? <laughs> Something else? Yeah, and then when you get to the beach, you're going to be safe, but then I'm going to let a snake bite you. Can we not have that happen, Lord? Don't rush to conclusions. Why? Because others may need to see you go through that and still be left standing in Christ. And to know, hey, this is not the end of the world. I made it through this. If you weren't here last week and you, you haven't seen it, I encourage you just to watch the testimony from Mackenzie, our college student. I loved just listening to her. I felt like I was learning. I was in a class. I felt like I was in a class with Mackenzie. Because at the end, when she was not only talking about finding her purpose, but she said, I'm trying to earn, learn and understand God's purpose for his suffering in my life. I was not anywhere near saying that kind of thing as a college student. Honestly, I don't think I was even there a few years ago. <laughs> I'm 51 now. I'm learning this. Don't rush to those conclusions. God is allowing this. And not only do you have the centurion and the people who had been their captives, captors who are now enthralled with Paul, they would be saying we were wrong about him. We thought we were in control. The God he represents is truly the one in control. Our very lives have been in his hands and we are on this beach because of his God. We don't understand it all, but that's why we're here. And as Paul shakes that snake off, they think, oh, he's a God, and they start to worship him. And Paul, obviously, he doesn't say it there in, directly in the text, but he redirects their worship to Jesus. He says, it's not me that you should worship, it's Jesus. And despite the fact that that verse and another verse in Mark may have caused some of my uh, Tennessee people to come up with uh, denominations that handle snakes, very sorry about that. It's, it's somewhere that happened in Tennessee. Snake handling Christianity. No, 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 no. That's all I want to say. Talk about bad interpretation of the Bible. But if you want to know where that came from, it's like, well, Paul did it. So look what I can do. You know, and they get bit. But God is using this situation specifically so that the people on Malta, like, is he getting a leg up? Is he getting an opportunity now to talk to them about the God he serves instantly? Yes. And so the guy who owns the most land on the island says, hey, I've got somebody that needs help. I need you to come and help my family that they're sick. Paul speaks of Jesus' kingdom. He goes, he prays, he heals, everybody hears about it, they start going. And so we go from a ship in the middle of the storm. The kingdom of God was traveling on that ship. The kingdom of God was bringing life to those around Paul, the one who represented the goodness of Jesus, the power and reign of the Son of God moved from a shipwreck, and now it is around a fire and in a house on a little island in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. God's kingdom moves with his people. He moves with you. He moves in and through your situations 
But Jesus saves people there. He heals people there because Paul is there, because Emmanuel is God with us. There's life on the ship. There's life on the island. In the same way that Paul said, everybody who stays on the ship can be saved. Now he can stand on this island and by his actions and words proclaim the same thing. Everyone on this island can experience the saving and healing power of the one and only King if you want it. You need only to believe and receive it. A ship that is safe through the waters, an island that is safe from the storm. It's a harbor from the storm of the waters. Now one more. Acts 28, verse 11. And here we go. We're finishing right here. This is, this is the end. Acts 28, 11 through 31. After three months, more boats. I would be like, no, thank you. I will finish up my ministry on Malta for the rest of my life, Lord. Nope. He gets on a boat. He knows he's supposed to go to Rome. We set sail in an Alexandrian ship that had wintered at the island with the twin gods as its figurehead. A lot of these details are here just so that you know this is historical. This is real. This is not just like, yeah, there's this great thing that happened. This is, these are real places. They really went there. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, after making a circuit along the coast, we reached Regium. After one day, a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Putioli. I don't even know how to say that one. Putueli. Um, there we, it's Italian. So you got it. There we found brothers and sisters and were invited to stay a week with them. And so we came to Rome. Finally, we got, he said, Rome. Now he doesn't know that there's heavy stuff ahead. Of, there's a lot of heavy stuff ahead of him. But the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us, come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God, took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or the customs of our ancestors, I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. After they examined me, they wanted to release me. And since there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, even though I had no charge to bring against my people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and speak to you. In fact, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. He's still a prisoner. Then they said to him, we haven't received any letters about you from Judea. None of the brothers has come and reported or spoken anything evil about you, but we want to hear what your views are. Since we know that people everywhere are speaking against this sect, so they're not convinced yet of it. So verse 23, after arranging a day with him, many came to him at his lodging. He's in prison in this little house. From dawn to dusk, he expounded and testified about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets. Some were persuaded by what he said. This is a repeat story, isn't it? But others did not believe. Disagreeing among themselves, they began to leave after Paul made one statement the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah when he said, go to these people and say, you're always going to be listening, but never understanding. You're always going to be looking for God, but never perceiving. For the hearts of these people, and he's kind of doing this, have grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. 
And if that is familiar to you, it's not only Isaiah, but it's also in the Gospels at the beginning of John when Jesus is talking about and John the Baptist is declaring, here's what's going to happen. Here's how they're going to respond. They're not going to open their eyes. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will actually listen. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't make a lot of them feel very good about themselves. And they were kind of angry. It's Paul's MO. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house. How's that? You're a prisoner and you have to pay for it. Nice. And he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Our final image is just how the church started in Jerusalem, a house, just a house in Rome. So this is uh, the Pantheon. It's like it was a temple and then it was converted to a church. So inside it's really interesting. It's beautiful, but inside it's really interesting because there's all this stuff for like foreign gods and crosses and it's just like a big hodgepodge of stuff. But it's one of the most impressive buildings I've ever seen in my life. And that's one of the smaller buildings in Rome. Even at this time when Paul would have been here, the Colosseum wasn't built yet, but it was a spectacular city and nation. You would walk around and be like, wow. Now we're going to, if you're going to be with us in Revelation, we're going to get into a lot of this because a lot of what they talk about in Revelation is directly relating to Rome, at least immediately. And then you have to get into how it affects us in prophecy. But this is what Paul is, it's a small house of all the buildings in Rome, all of the magnificent works of art, statues of gods and Caesars, temples to gods that would rival the greatest architecture in the world. There's only one building where true life can be found. And it's the little house that Paul is in. Rome is symbolically a sea, an ocean of power, control, pride, and evil. An ocean of culture, progress, advancement, knowledge, and force. Who can stand against it? Who can seek to hold back its waves? One little guy who knows Jesus in one little house that was probably not very impressive. And for those who are looking for it, it is the place to be saved. It is the place to find life. There is life in the ship in the middle of the ocean. There is life on the island that sits in the middle of an ocean. And then there is life in this little house that sits in this ocean and culture of Rome. It is the place where God is present. It is the place where God is ready to heal, to save, and to shelter from the torrent of the waters outside. A ship, an island, a house, your house, your work dark places that you go in your heart, sins that you think, ah, no way, I can't bring those in to the light, there too can be the place where Jesus meets you. He can be found, and all you have to do is be willing. So baptism, I'm going to have the team come on up. See, I told you it was short. It's not bad. Baptism is a symbol. It is, so we have the ship, we have an island, we have a house, and we have this. Now, there's no 
supernatural power in any of those things. It is the God who is present in those moments. And we don't twist arms. We don't force. We don't do that. I remember being in churches like this when I was growing up. We would sing at the end, just as I am without one plea. And pastor would be out there singing, 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 singing. Nobody's coming. And he's like, do it again. (laughs) And so somebody would get saved again just to end the whole thing. Like... I'm feeling, I'm feeling unsaved again, Pastor. I really need you to save me. So we don't do that. And we have some worship songs and we'll, we will beat out here, out of here exactly the same time that we normally get you out of here. Promise. Even if we get a long line, we'll release you if you need to go because we got kiddos that are waiting and then we'll still baptize them because we got time in between services and stuff like that. But no pressure other than Holy Spirit pressure. If he is asking you better listen. You better listen. If he is saying, what what are you waiting for? This is the moment. Like I said, we have everything you need. There are things to change into. We got extra, you name it. We've got it. Fix your hair, all those kinds of things. Like anything that you can think of that you might be like, well, but if you don't have this brand of blah, blah, no, just kidding. Like we have everything you would need to make it through this. So what we do is we are just going to worship. And so it could be that we finish with worship and nobody's hearing that. And we're not going to be like, oh man, the Lord wasn't here today. We're not going to do that. But we do feel the need to ask if God is prompting you. And I know for me, like I always, where I knew God was speaking to me, and this is kind of still the, the case. It's like a little, I usually, I try to push it out of my head and it's like it, it scurries right back in. And my heart usually starts pounding a little bit and I can hear it in my ears. (laughs) And I know that God is speaking to me. That's, that's me. I don't know how he does that for you, but it may be very simple. I heard this this week as well. A lot of times we say, you know what? That really resonated with me. That really resonated with me. That truth or that, that's just, yeah. It's a very 2023 thing to say. How'd you feel about that sermon? Hmm. It resonated just kind of bouncing around. And this, this pastor said this, and I thought it was really good. Um, the Lord doesn't want resonance. He wants obedience. He wants obedience. He wants you. He wants you to give all of yourself to him. And so what we do is we have a team in that back corner. And if you are sensing, I think I need to do this. I need to, I need to get something straight with the Lord and I want to make a public profession of my love for him today. I want to make a public profession of my love for Jesus today. And I also want to make a supernatural profession of my faith to great cloud of witnesses and to the demonic realm. Not because we want to pay attention to them, but because they know it. There is great celebrating in heaven and there is great upheaval when you are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It is not what they want, but it is what he calls you to. And so all we ask is that you just sit with Jesus and you worship um, and do the same thing. If you see somebody takes a step and takes a risk, cheer for them. What a step, what a place of courage and bravery. Um, And then here in 15 minutes or so, 
we'll close like normal, but we've got some songs. So if it's just a place of, of wanting to allow the Lord to move in your heart, um, we just ask you to respond to him. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll sing a little bit. And anybody that wants to be dunked, we will dunk you. Joe the Baptist will dunk you. Lord, we love you. God, I, I'm so thankful for just, it's actually been really sweet for me watching Paul in particular do what he did for your kingdom and how he lived. Um, God, I see this image of the church sitting in that upper room. You would just return to heaven and they're sitting there waiting. What do we do? They're in this house. And then here we finish with Paul in a house hundreds and hundreds of miles away from where it all started. And Lord, that map only gets larger and the numbers of then the thousands that would come to know you because of the faithfulness of people going onto those boats and going to those islands and going to those temples and getting beat up and doing whatever it took. Lord, we're sitting here today because they didn't give up. And so, Lord, I, I just want to ask this morning that your spirit would be faithful to um, give a nudge and a prompting to anyone here that is sensing that they need to make this public profession. Um, and I just want to take a minute here, too. If, uh, if you have never, if you would say right now, if I asked you, uh, are you in the boat? And if you would say no, then I want to give you an opportunity to get in the boat before we make public profession. And so uh, if you feel so led, uh, you can pray with me or something like this. Lord Jesus, I am not in you right now. In my sin, in my pursuit of life in this world is literally drowning me. It is so heavy. It is too heavy a burden to bear. And God, I believe enough of what I've heard from your word that you took that burden for me. God, I believe you paid for my sins when you died on that cross. God, I believe that when you rose from the dead, that you were the firstborn of the dead and that I can be among those counted as alive again. I want to be alive again, Lord. I want to be alive. I want to live in your truth. I want to walk with you. And I have a thousand voices in my head that are screaming at me not to do it. But one voice, your voice, I believe, telling me it is the most important thing I could ever do. So Jesus, take me into your family. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me. Renew me. Transform my heart. I here and now give you my life. I give it to you. Amen. If that's you and you would like to tell us about it, you go right back there, you tell them what happened, and then you get changed and uh, symbolically represent your burial and resurrection in Jesus.
And uh, others that just maybe you already have, but you've never made that public profession, I encourage you, get up, listen to that heartbeat from the Lord, go back there and let us celebrate with you. All right, let's stand, let's worship.